live from the WILK studios in Pittston, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Sharing Recovery. Straight talk on today's struggles of addiction and triumphs of recovery. Recovery is possible. Sharing Recovery is sponsored by Clearbrook Treatment Center, Serenity Lodge, Attorney Jason Mattioli, and Archstone Recovery Center. We welcome your calls with questions or comments. Call 570-883-0098 or 1-800-437-0098. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of Intercom Communications staff, management, or sponsors. Here are your hosts, Suzanne Kelly and Jack Kropp. Hello and welcome to Sharing Recovery. We're happy that you chose to spend your afternoon with us. I'm Suzanne Kelly and I'm joined by fellow host Jack Kropp, who recently celebrated 19 years of recovery. Go Jack. Um, Sharing Recovery is about help and hope and healing. And we do believe that recovery is possible. Yet we also know that too often silence equals death. Now today we are very fortunate and excited to welcome Um, Randy Grimes. Randy is the former center for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, He played with the NFL from 1983 to 1992. What many don't know is that Randy had nearly a 20-year addiction to pain pills, and at one time, he was taking up to 45 pills a day. Um, His addiction started with pain control, and it escalated from there, and uh, we're very lucky to have Randy with us today to share his story of healing, help, recovery, advocacy, and um, how he's helping others on that same path. Welcome, Randy. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Hi, Randy. How you doing? Jack, what's up, my friend? (laughs) Thanks for coming on the show, Randy. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you for the opportunity, and uh, I love and appreciate what you guys are doing up there. Randy, how's the weather in Florida today? Awesome. I didn't want to rub it in, but yeah, it's awesome. Well, all About 80 I, degrees. All I know is I just heard the weather person say we're going to get snow and sleet tomorrow, and I'm thinking Randy's down there in a pair of shorts sitting by the pool. <laughs> hey, well, I know flights come in here every day, so Jack, you've got that option. I told okay. you, right after the first of the year, I'll be down. Well, I hope you look me up, buddy. I certainly am going to. Randy... How about we start right in the beginning? Uh, tell us about your career. Man, I had a great career. You know, football was something I was always good at. I had an opportunity to play at Baylor, get a scholarship there, played four great years there with some great people. Uh, a lot of great players went on to the NFL, guys that I would play against for the, the rest of my career. Uh, Randy, wait, let me interrupt you for one second when you say you went on to the NFL. In 1983, you were drafted into the NFL, right? Correct. And and people have said that was maybe the greatest draft class of all time. Well, I'm glad you said that, Jack, because I say it all the time. And and there are still some people that question you. But, yeah, that was Marino, Elway. That was a Jim Kelly. That was a great draft class. A lot of great linemen, a lot of great running backs and receivers. I mean, it was across the board one of the one of the the, the most talented draft classes, and, and not. And I don't say that just because I was in it. Well, how about Todd Blackledge out of Penn State? I mean, we're up here in Penn State country. We got to give him a shout out, Randy. So. Okay, there you go. Yeah, there's another one. Yeah. So you went to the NFL, you went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
I was drafted in the second round by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and it was huge because especially an old East Texas kid like me, I'd never even seen the ocean. So going to a team that had just made the playoffs the year before, going to a seaside community like Tampa, you know, it was uh, uh, it, 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 it was an awesome experience. And I'd, I'd gotten married after my junior year in college, so I had my wife with me. And we were going out there and not only start an NFL career, but also start, you know, our, our future together. So it, it was exciting times in 1983. Wow. And, and that seems like yesterday, doesn't it, Randy? It really does. Yeah. It really does. A lot of the time, you know, I'll drive over to Tampa several times a year and either go to games or events over there or, I, you know, I do business over there. And Tampa has not changed that much. Well, that's good to hear. So, Randy, you went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and you start out and you have this dream, which you're now living. You know, every kid in America dreams of playing in the NFL. Now, you're living this dream, but at some point, it takes a toll on you, doesn't it, Randy? Yeah, and you know, Jack, I'm, I, I was one of those guys that would come in and I, I would keep my mouth shut and I would do what I was told. I would listen to the older guys. I would listen to the guys that had been successful before. And, you know, one of the things that I learned early in my career was to do whatever I had to do to stay out on that field. You know, I was not going to be that guy that was always back in the training room with little nagging injuries. I was not going to get that reputation as being somebody that was always hurt, you know, uh, that the, the proverbial whiner, you know, and, and, and it was easy to get that reputation, and I was not going to allow myself to do that. So I was willing to do whatever I had to do to stay on the field. And one of the things that older guys taught me to do, and I, I certainly don't blame older guys. I just know that was the culture of the NFL, that warrior mentality where you suffer in silence and you take care of your own business and you stay out there on the field. And and if I wasn't in my position, somebody else was going to be. So, you know, that's, you know I started self-medicating every day to stay out there. And um, that was one of the things the older guys taught me to do. And, and, you know, I didn't look at it like uh, I was doing anything other than feeding my family, you know, taking care of my job and doing what I had to do to be at my job every day. Randy, That's the way I looked at it then. You when, you, when you say self-medicating, what do you mean by self-medicating? I mean, did you just go to someone to get pain pills? Did you go to see a physician to get a script? Or, you know, how did you self-medicate? Oh, Suzanne, I didn't have to. I mean, we had access to anything we wanted there. You know, I, I, off-label prescribing or, or by managers, by trainers, by team doctors was uh, was the culture of the NFL back then. And even if they they didn't give it to you, we had an open drug safe there at the uh, at the locker room at the at the clubhouse, so you could just get in there and get whatever you needed at the time. So I mean, that was the culture of the NFL then. Uh, through the 80s and, and the early 90s. So, you know, that's when I say self-medicate, and I was taking handfuls of pain pills every day to stay out on the field. Randy, it's not like that today in the NFL, is it, that you can just walk into a drug room and help yourself? 
well, Jack, I wonder what's going on. You know, I still, you know, I do a lot of work with the NFL still. I do a lot of work with Major League Baseball. There, there are guys that are still coming through that I'm working with that that culture still exists. You know, it, it wasn't but a couple of years ago that the DEA cracked down on visiting doctors that were coming into uh, uh, other teams' um, stadiums and prescribing narcotics, which you cannot do that. You cannot cross state lines like that. And also uh, the off-label prescribing that that was going on. Uh, and as far as I know, they say it's gotten better, but it still exists to some extent. And when you say off-label, so our listeners understand, you mean they were prescribing one medication for something that it wasn't prescribed, wasn't intended for. Is that right, Ryan? Well, when I, when I say off-label prescribing, I'm, I'm saying that the, the medication is sent to the teams just like it would be sent from, the, from Big Pharma. And, uh, I mean, it's not like they're handing you a prescription. You know, they I would gotcha. hand you that. They would hand you medication in a, a little white dental envelope, if you remember what those little envelopes yep. look like. Right. Absolutely. And that is what I'm calling off-label off prescription. Okay. Prescribing. Randy, we're going to put you on hold one sec. We have to take a short break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. Since 1972, Clearbrook Treatment Center has been providing successful treatment for those suffering from substance abuse. Clearbrook's medical program provides round-the-clock care and treatment from a licensed and specialized medical team. Clearbrook's approach to addiction is largely based upon the proven practices of Alcoholics Anonymous. Pastoral services are available to patients seeking spiritual guidance. Call Clearbrook today at 570-260-2600. Jason Mattioli is a personal injury and criminal defense lawyer prepared to fight for you. Attorney Mattioli has an exceptional record of defending the rights of those arrested for DUI and drug offenses. He also represents victims of tractor-trailer and automobile accidents, premises liability, product defects, and work-related accidents. If you or a loved one has been arrested or injured, call Attorney Mattioli at 570-961-1616. Archstone Recovery Center of the Palm Beaches provides addiction treatment centered within a small, personal, community-type setting. For nearly two decades, Archstone has helped thousands suffering from alcohol and chemical dependencies recover and regain control of their lives. Archstone's medical, clinical, and support staff provide the highest level of professional treatment and individualized care. Call Archstone Recovery Center at 855 899-2292. Serenity Lodge is a safe, structured, supervised, sober living community for young men located in the beautiful mountains of Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania. Serenity Lodge has perfected the missing piece between addiction treatment and real life. Serenity Lodge teaches how to use the principles of recovery along with age-appropriate life skills. Call Serenity Lodge today at 570-650-8205. Welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Straight talk on today's struggles of addiction and triumphs of recovery. Recovery is possible. We welcome your calls with questions or comments. Call 570-883-0098 or 1-800-437-0098. Here are your hosts, Suzanne Kelly and Jack Kropp. 
And welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Uh, today's guest is Randy Grimes, former center from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Randy's story is, is remarkable, um, to say the least. Um, he played with the NFL from 1983 to 1992. But what many don't know is that for nearly 20 years, uh, Randy had an addiction to pain pills and up taking up to 45 pills a day. And uh, Randy, welcome back to WILK Sharing Recovery. Thank you very much. So, Randy, you, you now you're in the NFL, and you don't want to be that wimpy guy that needs to go run into the team doctor all the time, and you start taking pills. How long did it take? How what, how long was the progression, Randy, from that first season to where you realized, uh oh, this is a problem? Well, and and you know, back then I had so many enablers in my life. I had team doctors, team trainers, teammates. I had fans. You know, I had. So many people that would enable this addiction to rage out of control. And, and like I said, keep in mind, back then I didn't look at it like an addiction. I looked at it as a, as a necessary evil. It was just or, one of the uh, tools you were using to get the job done. Right. Uh, part of my occupation, you know. Okay. And the one thing that I've only recently started talking about the last two couple of years is, you know, one of the things that I'm most ashamed about is God God gave me so much talent and blessed me with the opportunity to be at the right place at the right time around the right people for so many years, my entire football career. And, you know, the last two years of my NFL career, my dream, you know, the greatest opportunity in my life, I played in a complete blackout. You know, I was taking so many pain pills and so many benzos at the end of my career that I don't even remember being out on the field. I would be home at night after a 1 o'clock NFL game on Sunday, and it'd be 8 or 9 in the evening, and I'd be home, and I would start coming to out of this blackout and realize that I'd played an entire NFL football game. You know, I would be beat to hell. I would have, you know, all the cuts and bruises and everything that goes along with playing an NFL game and not remember a single play of the entire game that I started and played every down of. Randy, and how, how is it impossible? Yeah, Randy, I would have I would have to wait till the next morning and watch it on film with everybody else to see how I played the day before. And, you know, I always played great, but I did it in a complete blackout. But that would allow this insanity to go on a whole nother week. So when I was drunk, Randy, uh, somebody asked me one time, did you ever have a blackout? I said, yeah, I had one from 1968 to 1998. (laughs) I had one blackout, 30 years. (laughs) And, yeah, I went to work. I drove a car. I did all the stuff that we normally do. I wake up in the morning, oh, look at my garage to see if my car was there because I had no recollection of the night before. And you're telling me that you actually played pro games in a blackout. Exactly. Wow. That, that, is, that might be one of the craziest things I've ever heard, Randy, because I, I just can't imagine that. The, the concentration yeah. it takes to be able to snap the ball, to, to be on the field during the plays, to follow the cadence of the quarterback, and you were doing all of that, and you were in a blackout. Well, Jack, you just said it. You drove and operated a car. <laughs> yeah, I did, right? At work. Yeah. I mean, you, you responded to commands while at work or on the road. So, I mean, it, it happens. Yeah, I guess you're right, but I never thought of it that way, that there could be actually pro athletes that are 
actually functioning at their job during I was I could run a piece of a construction equipment in a blackout. So why couldn't you snap the ball in a blackout? That's right. Wow. That's right. So what happened, Randy? Now you're home in a blackout. You have to watch the film the next day to see the game. At what point did you start to think, "How am I going to go? How's this going to make out after I'm done in the NFL?" Well, you know, and, and what had developed into a raging addiction that I was still unable to, you know, admit was a raging addiction. I never expected to take that into my retired life, and I remember. I can, and and keep keep in mind what was going on in Tampa's uh, in the '80s and early '90s. We were a revolving door of not only coaches, players, uh, front office personnel. I mean, I had five head coaches in the ten years that I was there. I had six different offensive line coaches in the ten years that I was there, and probably ten different quarterbacks got up underneath me. Uh, in that 10 years. So it was a revolving door. and But the one consistent thing was the ability of Randy Grimes to start at center. And um, so with that being said, I, I, I thought I was having a successful career. You know, I thought that I was feeding my family. I thought I was going to be able to leave the game on my own terms. And, and little did I know, nobody ever gets to do that. And, and I should have seen that coming because I, I saw other guys have to leave the game and not on their own terms. So I remember Sam Wash was my last head coach. And I remember after that 92 season, him walking up to me and just saying, you know, Randy, um, we're not going to need your services anymore. Oh, and, and then he walked out. And I can remember thinking, are you serious? After everything that I've been through in Tampa, all the blood, sweat, and tears, all the losing seasons, all the revolving door of players and personnel, I said, this is how it ends. All those years of, of junior high, of high school, of college ball, all the work that I've put into this every year, all year long, and it ends with a tap on the shoulder by a coach that I hardly knew. And I remember re- just kind of reaching in my locker and raking everything that I owned in that locker into a black trash bag and walking out the back door. And that was the end of an NFL career. Just that like was that. The end, that was the end of Randy Grimes, the football player. And back then, football was who I was. It wasn't just something I did. It was who I was. It was my identity. It was my my sense of self. It was my my, my self-worth. And I, you know, that rage and addiction that, and, and believe me, Jack and Suzanne, I mean, at that point, it had crossed over. It was not about just treating injuries anymore. It was a full-blown addiction that I couldn't stop doing. And um, I, I never expected to take that into my retired life. I never looked at it like that. And, you know, as when I retired and moved back to Houston, the injuries just kept getting worse. The depression, the, the uh, lack of identity and self-worth just kept getting worse. And I was self-medicating now, not only for injuries, but also, you know, for those underlying issues that I was dealing with. And that went on for years and years. When you say almost 20 years, well, actually, it was more like 20-plus years of doctor shopping all over Houston, uh, you know, multiple doctors, multiple pharmacies, you know, buying stuff on the street, going through houses, cars, jobs, all the things that we lose because of addiction. The crazy, insane 
part of that is that I couldn't stop doing it. Randy, you know? can I ask you a question, please? When you were playing and you were self-medicating, um, did your family know? They knew. Uh, I mean, my wife knew that I needed something to sleep, but, but they didn't know how much I was doing. They didn't know how frequent I was doing it. Uh, they didn't know about the blackouts that I was playing in, you know, there at the end. Um, so, I mean, I, I hit it pretty good, I think. But why would they suspect it? You know, I was playing good. I was keeping my position. Um Man, I really didn't give them any reason to back then. Listen, I had plenty of money coming in. You know, I had uh, I was gone all day up to the uh, facility, so I wasn't really around them that much during the season. How about in the off season, Randy? You had to keep using during the off season just to to mitigate the pain that you were from the season, right? Yeah. And uh, I, I guess I really didn't show any signs back then that would alarm anybody. You know, it wasn't until things escalated to where they were just so completely out of control after I retired before people started really getting concerned. And when you retired, Randy, you, you left Florida, you went back to Texas. What happened then? Well, and that's when I didn't have those enablers anymore. I didn't have those team doctors, team trainers, teammates, and fans. And, and, and like I said, you know, I started supplementing any way that I could. And that's where the, the doctor shopping and the multiple, uh, pharmacy shopping and all that started. Um, you know, I was buying stuff on the street. I was going through our money. You know, I was, I was losing jobs because I was nodding off at work, you know, uh, uh, or doing something stupid at work. I mean, people at work knew what was going on. And, and then the family started getting involved. You know, that's when I, was, I started. I tried to go to a couple detoxes, but, you know, that never worked because I never really worked on those underlying issues that were making me do what I was doing at that point. It wasn't just about the injuries back then. It was a full-blown addiction and, uh, you know, fear of getting sick, fear of having seizures. I was having seizures every time I would come off the Xanax. I mean, life was so insane. But even even knowing that, you know, my wife was going to leave me, that I'd lost another job, that I just had another car repossessed, that a house was going to before closed on i couldn't stop doing it i just couldn't stop doing it the fear uh the addiction everything had taken over at that point were you at one point suicidal i don't think that i would have ever hurt myself intentionally but i was certainly ready for the next handful of pills to be my last okay. you Randy, know what i mean at, at this point you got to be in your early 30s if you played 10 years in the league and and just for the sake of the listeners, Randy, most people have the misconception the NFL players that have played the average six, seven years, ten years, they think that those guys are like multi-multi-millionaires for the rest of their life and money's never an issue. And, and that's not the case, is it? No, no, it's not even close. You know, there's such a small fraction of the league that's making the kind of money that most people think that they do. The majority of the guys are working class guys that are, I mean, they're making good salaries, but in proportion to the salaries that you see listed in the paper all the time, most of the guys are not making that much. And you're talking about 1,700 players that are in the league, something like that. 
And um, most of those guys are just making good salaries. Certainly nothing that will keep them afloat the rest of their lives. Right. That was the point I was making, Randy. It's not like you had a zillion dollars at your disposal to keep buying drugs. At some point, it started to affect you, just like it affected me and my family, Randy. I owned a landscaping company for 25 years. But over time, I lost the landscaping company. I lost my, my wife divorced me. I lost my house. I lost everything as a result of addiction. And, and that's just because we will call this your celebrity factor didn't make it so easy for you. You started to lose things too, didn't you, Randy? I did. And I couldn't stop it. And, you know, I didn't want to be like that. And I always thought, you know what? I'm going to get a grip on this. I'm going to start taking as directed. I'm going to, I'm going to get control of this thing, but I'll do it tomorrow. You know, and, and, and then I had 20 plus years of, of tomorrows. I mean, I retired in 1993 and I didn't get sober till 2009. So there's a lot of misery in between there. There's a huge wake of destruction that I left everywhere that I went for all those years. And, you know, those were there were some detoxes thrown in there, you know, but it never helped. I never got a grip on it. I might get it under control for a week, month, you know, two months in a row for a little while, but I was never sober. And uh, that's that's the insanity of this disease, because even like you, Jack, I'm sure you knew what was going on. You just couldn't stop the chaos. Well, and I- that's where I was for all those years. Looking back, I had some great jobs. I accomplished some great things, but in the mix was always substance abuse, always abuse in opiates and benzos, and I just couldn't stop doing it. Well, I get to the, I got to the point, Randy, where I didn't know how to survive with alcohol, and I didn't know how to survive without alcohol. I was right. petrified every day of the week that my wife and my family were going to find out that I owed the IRS a fortune, that I owed all my suppliers a fortune, that I hadn't paid all the bills, that the trucks were going to get repossessed. Because all the money went went to my addiction. So I had no idea how to tell anybody. So what do you do? Well, you keep drinking. I don't know. You're right. You know, that, you know. that, that, that you know I, I didn't know enough about it. And I, that phone weighed 800 pounds and I, I, I didn't know who to call. I didn't know what to say or how to ask. And I know that's no excuse because I'm out there every day now telling people who to call, what to do. And, but back then when, you know, when I think about it, I think about the, I think about the seizures that I had and I probably had 10 to 15 seizures just because I would run out of Xanax. And you know what? This is how insane it would be that instead of going and reaching out and getting help, I would drive all over Houston looking for more Xanax just so I wouldn't have another seizure, knowing that I could have a seizure at any second while I was driving around. Dear God. You know, and and not only kill myself, but God forbid kill somebody else. So that's the insanity of the disease. And when I say that I couldn't stop, that's what I mean. I was out there doing crazy things because of this addiction that I would otherwise never do. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, Randy, we're going to talk about that day you crawled into that treatment center and how much life has changed since then. Sounds good.
Archstone Recovery Center of the Palm Beaches provides addiction treatment centered within a small, personal, community-type setting. For nearly two decades, Archstone has helped thousands suffering from alcohol and chemical dependencies recover and regain control of their lives. Archstone's medical, clinical, and support staff provide the highest level of professional treatment and individualized care. Call Archstone Recovery Center at 855 855- 899-2292. Jason Mattioli is a personal injury and criminal defense lawyer prepared to fight for you. Attorney Mattioli has an exceptional record of defending the rights of those arrested for DUI and drug offenses. He also represents victims of tractor trailer and automobile accidents, premises liability, product defects, and work-related accidents. If you or a loved one has been arrested or injured, call attorney Mattioli at 570-961-1616. Serenity Lodge is a safe, structured, supervised, sober living community for young men located in the beautiful mountains of Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania. Serenity Lodge has perfected the missing piece between addiction treatment and real life. Serenity Lodge teaches how to use the principles of recovery along with age-appropriate life skills. Call Serenity Lodge today at 570-650-8205. Since 1972, Clearbrook Treatment Center has been providing successful treatment for those suffering from substance abuse. Clearbrook's medical program provides round-the-clock care and treatment from a licensed and specialized medical team. Clearbrook's approach to addiction is largely based upon the proven practices of Alcoholics Anonymous. Pastoral services are available to patients seeking spiritual guidance. Call Clearbrook today at 570-260-2600. This is WYLK, powered by Sherwood Chevrolet Buick GMC, online at Sherwood Chevrolet. Welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Straight talk on today's struggles of addiction and triumphs of recovery. Recovery is possible. We welcome your calls with questions or comments. Call 570-883-0098 or 1-800-437-0098. Here are your hosts, Suzanne Kelly and Jack Kropp. And welcome back. We have today's guest is Randy Grimes. Randy is the former center for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he is sharing his story of addiction and recovery. You know, Randy, I was wondering if you would please share, you know, with your addiction when it got real bad. And I mean, like it obviously got worse than when you were playing in the NFL. What were you spending a month to feed your addiction? How much did it cost you? You know... Thinking back, it was, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. Because, you know, when you going around all these different pain clinics that were all over Houston, that was a huge charge, you know, uh, $600 a day, easy. And that was buying them through doctors and, and little pop-up pharmacies. That's not counting what I was spending out on the street, you know, when I couldn't find a doctor. So it, I don't know. You know what? I've never put it down on paper, and I, I'm kind of scared to. Right. Right. I understand. I don't even want to know. Randy, people used to say to me, where did you get the money that you spent? And I would say, I don't know. And they don't understand that that's the truth. I have no idea where the money came from. I have no idea where the money went. All I know is I got the job done every day. 
I got myself in that condition I needed to be in every day somehow, and that was the only thing that mattered to me. Right up until that moment where my wife said to me, get help or get out. And that day was the day that I changed and, and, these, and went to my first recovery meeting. What was that breaking point for you, Randy? You know, I think back about, you know, I'm often asked what my bottom was, and I had so many of them, and every one of them had a trap door. Hmm. You know, I think it was finally at the end when I was sleeping on the floor of our vacant house. We uh, we had just, by the grace of God, gotten out of a house that was going to be repoed, and somebody came in and bought it right before. So I was sleeping, but they weren't going to take possession of it for several months. So I was I, I was sleeping in a, an empty house. My wife had moved in with her parents, and and uh, all the furniture had been put in storage. And and you know, with my addiction, I wasn't welcome over there. So I was sleeping in the house of this empty floor. I mean, uh, empty floor in an empty house. And um, I had a friend that I'd played with in Tampa Bay. His name was Tom McHale. And he was out there doing the same thing I was doing, self-medicating for injuries. And, you know, one morning he just didn't wake up. And I'd also had seizures um, as a result of withdrawal from Xanax. Um, one like one right after another for, for several days. And uh, so... I, my wife had reached out to the NFL, and through the NFL, we found where I ultimately went to treatment. And it was just a combination. It was like the perfect storm of all bad and good events right there at the end. And September 22nd of 2009, I flew into Fort Lauderdale and, and, and wound up where I'm still at today. Okay, so you, you've I've heard you say this, Randy. When you got to the treatment center, you literally crawled into that treatment center on your hands and knees? I literally did. I fell out of the car that picked me up in Fort Lauderdale. They drove me up to West Palm. I can remember how sick I was. And I literally fell out of the car and crawled in um, to the door. And, you know, Jack, I remember, I don't remember much about that night. Um, but I do remember somebody saying that Randy, in order to get this, you've really got to be desperate. You've got to have the desperation of a drowning man. And for some reason, that has always stuck with me because as a kid in Tyler, Texas, I did almost drown. I was eight years old. I got trapped underneath one of those paddle boats that you sit on and, and paddle with your feet. And, and somehow I got trapped underneath that. And I can remember the desperation that I had as I was clawing, trying to claw my way back to the surface of the water. And I, I knew at that point I was really in the fight of my life. And listen, I've, I've had some tough battles in my life. I've battled tough people, you know, some big, bad, mean dudes. And I've won a lot of those battles, but nothing, nothing compared to what I was fixing to go through and trying to get sober. So handling your addiction was a lot worse than handling Randy White. Absolutely. <laughs> ten, times, ten times. But, you know, I'll also say, you know, it was the hardest thing I've ever accomplished, but it was also the most fulfilling and, and my greatest accomplishment. Okay, so you crawled into that treatment center, and, and then what happened? What, what was that experience like, Randy? 
Well, I'll tell you what, they, they really didn't even want to admit me because I'd had so many seizures and I was such a liability. Uh, I stayed in detox for three weeks. In detox uh, for three weeks? In, in detox wow. for three weeks. They took it really slow with me. Uh, we also came in with a plan that I'd formulated through the help of some people at the NFL. So after detox, I went and had a knee replaced. I had the other knee worked on. I had some work done on my neck. So we had a plan to kind of help me with some of my chronic pain issues. And then I came back to detox for another week to get off all the meds that they gave me at the hospital. For the medical procedures. So so that was a five-week thing right there, just counting, you know, three weeks of detox, a a week of having my knee replaced and my other surgeries, and then another week to get off the hospital meds. And then I started 60 days of some very intense therapy, uh, dual diagnosis work to deal with all those underlying things that I had going on because, you know, I was still suffering all the all the uh, the depression and the lack of identity and self-worth issues that I had. And, um, you know, I, I, I can remember t- it was exactly two weeks into that first detox. I can remember thinking I was, it was 8.45 on a Wednesday morning, exactly two weeks into the process. And I was sitting at a picnic table. And for some reason, I would get up every morning and just kind of write down in a, in a spiral notebook what I was feeling, what I was going through. Uh, what was going on in my life at the time. And I don't know why, because I'm not a big writer. But for some reason, it would make me feel better. And I can remember this particular morning, 8.45, 15 minutes before all the groups started, I can remember sobbing uncontrollably because I was thinking, if this is what being sober is all about, I don't want to have any part of it because I was miserable. I was eaten up with guilt and shame. I didn't know how to live without drugs without opiates without benzos i'd convinced myself that i was that guy that was going to need them for the rest of my life i had all these injuries i was in such pain and you know i can remember it was like somebody came up behind me at that very second and like draped a warm quilt around me because and i say quilt because i still remember feeling weight on my shoulders and it was like that obsession to use and throw down pills every day was lifted off me right then. That was my burning bush moment. And, you know, it was at that point that I realized I could do this, you know. I, it was going to be tough, but I could do this. And, I, you know, the great thing is I still get to pass that picnic table all the time. You know, I see where that that magic spiritual burning bush moment happened. So, you know, it's a reminder all the time of where I was at, you know, two weeks into this process back in 2009. And I can relate to what you just said, Randy, because I walked into a recovery meeting uh, uh, Friday at noontime, and I had no clue what it was about. I had no clue what I could say, what I couldn't say. And there was a man there, an old man named Jimmy, running this meeting. And he looked at me, he says, is there anybody new here or here for the first time? And he looked right at me. And I didn't know what to say. So I said, I'm Jack and I'm alcoholic. And I actually felt a weight lifted from me, just as you described just now, Randy. I felt a weight lifted and I said, "Uh uh-oh, something just happened. And when that meeting ended, 
you you talk about uh, the uh, at that when that meeting ended, a guy said to me, "Don't drink and come back tomorrow." And that's that. I've repeated that every day since for the last nineteen years plus. Randy, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to talk about what life's like today and how wonderful it is for you. Okay. Thank you. Serenity Lodge is a safe, structured, supervised, sober living community for young men located in the beautiful mountains of Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania. Serenity Lodge has perfected the missing piece between addiction treatment and real life. Serenity Lodge teaches how to use the principles of recovery along with age-appropriate life skills. Call Serenity Lodge today at 570-650-8205. Since 1972, Clearbrook Treatment Center has been providing successful treatment for those suffering from substance abuse. Clearbrook's medical program provides round-the-clock care and treatment from a licensed and specialized medical team. Clearbrook's approach to addiction is largely based upon the proven practices of Alcoholics Anonymous. Pastoral services are available to patients seeking spiritual guidance. Call Clearbrook today at 570-260-2600. Jason Mattioli is a personal injury and criminal defense lawyer prepared to fight for you. Attorney Mattioli has an exceptional record of defending the rights of those arrested for DUI and drug offenses. He also represents victims of tractor trailer and automobile accidents, premises liability, product defects, and work-related accidents. If you or a loved one has been arrested or injured, call attorney Mattioli at 570-961-1616. Archstone Recovery Center of the Palm Beaches provides addiction treatment centered within a small, personal, community-type setting. For nearly two decades, Archstone has helped thousands suffering from alcohol and chemical dependencies recover and regain control of their lives. Archstone's medical, clinical, and support staff provide the highest level of professional treatment and individualized care. Call Archstone Recovery Center at 855-899-2292. The Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins are back on the ice in Northeast Pennsylvania. Listen to all the action on the Penguins' flagship station, WILK News Radio. And he scores! Listen for your chance to win a family four-pack of tickets all season long. Brought to you by Jeep. Before mapping out your Black Friday shopping spree, make your way to the Jeep Black Friday sales event going on all month long. Visit your local dealer today. Catch every goal, save, and bone-crunching hit on WILK News Radio. Welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Straight talk on today's struggles of addiction and triumphs of recovery. Recovery is possible. We welcome your calls with questions or comments. Call 570-883-0098 or 1-800-437-0098. Here are your hosts, Suzanne Kelly and Jack Kropp. And welcome back. Randy, you know, it's interesting. Before the show, you were worried that we weren't going to have enough to talk about to fill an hour. And here we are in the last <laughs> segment. This has been incredible. You know, you I, correct me. <laughs> I know, you know, Jack, Jack wants to know more and I want to know and our listeners want to know more what life is like for you now. But I have a quick question. Um, I want to preface that by asking you, what was it about this turn, this time in recovery that made it stick you know what? I think it was a change of geography, a change of latitude. 
you know, I tried to I tried a couple times to get clean and sober while I still lived in Houston. I had my my I drove myself to treatment. I had my truck out in the parking lot. I focused on that truck the whole time that I was there. I would never open up and engage because I I don't know. It seems like all my triggers, all my people, places, and things were waiting right outside the door. And it wasn't until I got far away from all my misery that I really engaged in what I needed to do, that I finally opened up, that I finally just got somewhere and vomited all the stuff that I had been dealing with for 20 plus years. And, you know, thinking back and looking back on it, that was the difference. It was like I came to West Palm Beach and I had a clean slate. You know, I hadn't screwed anybody over. I hadn't lost any jobs. I hadn't written any bad checks or or done anybody wrong. And it was just like a do-over, a clean slate, a reset button. And, um, you know, that even when I left treatment, uh, one of the things they told me to do, and I was willing to listen to whatever they told me at that point, you know, they told me to go get in sober living, and I knew that I was going to move into a house with a bunch. Here I was, 49 years old, and I was going to move into a house with a bunch of 20-year-old kids and try to do the next right thing every day on my own. And I can remember doing that, but I would come back onto our campus every day, even though I wasn't a patient anymore. And I would just kind of hang out with the staff. I would pick up cigarette butts. I would do whatever I had to do to stay in that safe place where the people that I trusted, my support staff, people that I'd been around for the last 90 days so that they could hear my voice and see my eyes every day. I needed that accountability. And that's how it all started. One thing led to another. I would start doing uh, like volunteer alumni calls. Anything I could do to stay on that campus, even though I wasn't inpatient anymore, and because I was desperate at that time. And, um, you know, one thing led to another, led to another, to where we are now. Randy, one day your counselor said to you, okay, Randy, you're going to coin out tonight. Tomorrow's the big day. You, you, you won't be here. How afraid were you right at that moment? Scared to death. Right. Scared, the scaredest I've ever been in my life because I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust my decision making ability. Uh, I didn't. I didn't. You know, I, I do good with structure, Jack. Uh, you know, that's why I was right. so, I, I was so successful in the league. You know, people told me what to do, where to be, what to be wearing. I had a playbook, right. and all I had to do was follow that playbook, and I would be successful. So, left to my own demise, you know, I, I was scared to death. So that's one of the reasons that I needed that accountability of sober living for a while, and I needed to stay on the on the campus and around those people. And I, and I, I needed you to say that, Randy, because whether you're a five foot one, ninety pound girl, or a guy your size that played in the NFL, when the treatment program says it's time to go on to that next step, you're scared to death, and and you don't know what happens next. So, what's what's it like today, Randy? It's amazing today. Everything that I was promised early on has come true times ten. You know, and, uh, you know, I, I, God has allowed me to stay in this occupation, to stay in this field, to deal with people that were just like me. You know, people that are still falling out of cars and crawling in. 
um, people that are desperate to turn their lives around to get their lives back. You know, I still get to deal with that on a daily basis, and I get to see the miracle happen. Uh, I got interested in interventions early on. Uh, uh, I, I, I just wanted to help families. You know, families were calling, and people weren't ready to get sober, but families were ready for them, too. So interventions always have interested me. I've had the opportunity to go up and train back in 2010 with a guy up in New Jersey. You know, I sat through hundreds and hundreds of interventions before I ever did one on my own. And since 2010, I've had the, the, the good fortune of traveling all over the country and, and bringing people back to treatment. I, you know, I get to go into homes and see the missing the the, uh, the the missing TV on the shelf or the grandmother that's sobbing uncontrollably because all her jewelry's been pawned. I get to see the wrecked car out in the driveway. But I also get to see the miracle happen 30 days later. And I get to see those people have their lives restored, get to see families that are restored because of this process. And, and recovery does work. Inpatient treatment does work. But there is, you know, you've got to meet them halfway. You've got to engage. You've got to open up. You've got to leave it all here and, and use this as a launching pad for the rest of your recovery, the rest of your life. And uh, I, I love to see those families and, and those clients. I, get, I love to see those relationships restored. And it took me a long time to restore my relationships with my wife, with my children, because there was a lot of days where, you know, like I said earlier, you know, I'll, I'll take care of this tomorrow, and I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. You know, they were tired of that. They, they wanted to see me actually do the work. And it, it took months and months of me doing the work and years of me doing the work before they, they finally realized that I was serious about this and, that, and, and, and all our relationships were restored. And Randy, you said in the NFL you had a playbook. In recovery, we've got one too. That's right. And and, and, and I I use that all the time because listen, I, like I said, all I had to do was follow that playbook, and I was going to be successful. And that's the same way with the big book. You know, if, if I do the things that are in that book, the things that I hear in meetings, the things that my sponsor tells me to do, I'm going to be successful. Okay. Randy, everybody in the room here is making faces at me. Apparently, we have a caller. We, we do, we in. do, and just <laughs> we so. have Brian. Hang on one sec, please. We have Brian from Tunkhannock who who um, has something to share. Hey there, Brian. How you doing? We're great. What's up? Oh, just working. <laughs> um, you know, I'm listening to Randy, and and uh, and like I said in the, in text, if I didn't know better, I, I I would say he's talking about my life, other than. I didn't have a problem with the benzos. My problem was with the alcohol and the opiates. Um, I had a lot of football injuries, two bad knees, you know, um, and I just self-medicating. Um, unfortunately, I I, uh, I went for help for the knees through the VA system in Salt Lake City, um, and I was uh, hooked up with a doctor. This is where the opiate problem started, um, who gave me a prescription for Lortab with six refills, um, I never even had to go back in and see the doctor for a refill for six months. Yeah. Um, you know, needless to say, that's that's where it started. And this went on for almost 12 years. And Brian, how are you today? 
I'm, I'm good. Um, I'm clean and sober now. Uh, I'm clean from the drugs seven years, clean from alcohol almost 12 years. Beautiful, beautiful. It's good to well, hear this story. Thank you so much for calling in, Brian. You bet. So, Randy. Congratulations, congratulations, Brian. And you know what? You you probably can relate also to that warrior mentality that I was talking about, that we suffer in silence. It's kind of like the way we were raised, you know, the way our dads raised us. You know, you, you point bootstraps you take care of business and 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 you get it done you get it done. and you know that's when when we say we self-medicate it's also that that mentality that gets us in trouble so randy earlier you talked about you, you wondered about is this where life was going to be i truly believe that i had to travel the path that i traveled i had to lose everything i had to go to prison to get to where i am today and I can't believe how wonderful life is today. I have a wonderful relationship with my wife today and my children. And I, I hope I help somebody on a daily basis. Is Do you feel that way, too, that you had to travel the road you were on to get where we're at? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, Jack, I, I don't mind calling myself a drug addict. You know, I, 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 I don't believe that the fact that I'm an addict defines me as a person but what i do from this point on does mm -hmm. and and yeah would i go back and change anything you know what I, I would like to change some of the pain and misery that i cause my loved ones and friends but you know what looking back and and if i wasn't going to be where i am now no i wouldn't right. i wouldn't change anything and uh, I'm grateful for where I am. I'm grateful for the trials that I've had, and uh, I think they've have they they've made me into the man that I am now. And I've got to witness the miracles that I've gotten to witness over the last eight plus years. And Randy, so, I make you know, this point every time. You're enjoying your life today, aren't you? I am. Randy, Thanks, Randy. My wildest dreams. We're going to get you up to northeastern Pennsylvania soon. We want to meet you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, I Randy. Thank Randy, this was fabulous. Thank you.